Speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman. Yes, Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman. Who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights the never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 160 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode... I am going to finish my coverage of the Ruby Spears Superman with what we're going to call episode 13. That is the Superman story, The Last Time I Saw Earth, and the Superman Family Album story, It's Superman. And since there was an odd number of episodes in this series, this is all that I am going to talk about this week. So I have an extra treat for you later on in the show. I will be joined by Patrick Delmore, who you've heard on some of my uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movie episodes he will be uh he's a big fan of this show and he will be joining me on the other end of the podcast promo break so you'll have something a little bit different on hand probably a little bit of a shorter episode but before i get to uh patrick and i's uh, discussion of the episode i have feedback to address this feedback is from dave mcelvenny dave is writing in on man of screen episode 149 which was way back when when i came back from hiatus ironically enough, covering the first two episodes of this very series. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. It's good to hear your voice in my earbuds again, especially during this period of extreme isolation. I remember watching and enjoying the Ruby Spears Superman series when it aired. I was an adult at the time, but I still enjoyed pretty much any incarnation of Superman. Some more, some less. With writers like Marv Wolfman and Martin Pasco and good art, I agree that it would have been nice if this had lasted more than 13 episodes. You commented on the reason that Superman was not shown smashing the Defend droids, and I, too, think someone went to the extreme on that, but to put the most charitable spin on it, I suppose, given that the robots look somewhat humanoid, young kids might think of them as people. Although I think most kids are smarter in many ways than most adults give them credit for. Even so, as someone taught by nuns in pre-Vatican II parochial school system, I don't think kids would have believed they had souls. I think Fugitives in Space seems very much in the style of Martin Pascoe, whom longtime comic fans probably first encountered as a frequent writer to comic letter columns before he became a writer for DC. His comic stories often involve the sort of misdirect followed by a twist that we see in this one, one which provides a good lesson to kids about jumping to conclusions based on appearance alone. I particularly enjoyed the Kent Family album feature in these two episodes, centering on Clark as super baby slash toddler. The stories The Adoption and The Supermarket have a Silver Age sensibility to them, but updated for a Bronze Age slash post-crisis continuity. Thank God we didn't have to hear young Clark speaking like Tarzan or Tonto, though. I think we only see Clark at this cute stage for, a new, for another few pages of the Ken Family album, so I intend to enjoy that while I can. Thanks for coming back to the microphone, and I'm looking forward to the coming episodes. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. It's going to be a few months out from... Uh, when in between recording uh, this and when it dr- 
this episode will finally hit the internet. So, obviously, the extreme isolation is the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been going on for the past month. And I seriously hope that by the time you hear this episode, some of the uh, extreme isolation has come to a bit of a close. I've been, as of this recording on April 7th, stuck in the house with my kids for the better part of a month at this point. And, um, and they drive me crazy. Let's just say that. I think I've been out twice since March 14th. But that's neither here nor there. I'm with Dave, even though I pretty much find enjoyment in any uh, incarnation of Superman. You know, as always, some more, some less. And uh, I had mentioned that I wish this ep- this series had lasted longer. Dave, Dave agrees. As far as Dave's comment that young kids might think of the robots as people, eh, no, I don't think so. I think most kids watching this show are probably hip enough to know that robots are not alive, especially if they had some kind of parochial school education. And I liked Fugitive in Space for the... Uh, for the misdirect, you don't always see a lot of a misdirect in a kid's cartoon, but you know what? It is a good lesson to teach kids to not, you know, judge a book by its cover, so to speak. And, uh, you know, trying to give kids moral lessons in these cartoons is something that was uh, a priority in uh, some of the cartoons of the time. Maybe none as uh, ham-fisted as uh, G.I. Joe or He-Man, which had basically uh, one of the main characters showing up in, in a little uh, minute-long sp- spiel at the end saying this is what we learned on today's episode thundercats at least uh tried to uh disguise it as uh you know kind of uh an ending talk between the characters but yeah i remember gi joe and he-man basically saying well kids on today's episode we blah 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 blah." it is good for kids to see that appearances do not necessarily inform the actions of the person whether it's an ugly alien or a pleasant looking one the ugly looking alien can be the can be a good person so I really don't have much to add to that comment. I think that comment was starting to get away from me a little bit, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, as far as Dave's comment about the Kent family album stories, yeah, and this is something I'm going to talk about with Pat in the next segment is I enjoyed the Super Baby slash Toddler episodes because there are certain Super Baby stories that I like and there are other Super Baby concepts that I don't like. Bob Fisher's uh, favorite example of a Super Baby story that he doesn't like it's kind of thing where Super Baby has an adventure with Brainiac or something like that and kind of does a super heroics, you know, by accident. I don't know if that kind of story doesn't appeal to me either. <laughs> I enjoy watching uh, the Kents as uh, overwhelmed parents, you know, and, and things like the adoption, which really was more of the overwhelming everybody else. And uh, but the supermarket definitely with the overwhelmed Martha trying to keep Clark under control in a public setting. So that kind of stuff that I like the. Uh, the stories of the Kents trying to cope with Clark's abilities and figure out how they're going to deal with him and how they're going to keep him out of trouble. Those are the stories that I like. Seeing him do super heroics as a baby does not appeal to me, nor do some of the middle Superman family album stories where, let's just say I'm not on board with some of Clark's behaviors. So with that being said, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in as well, manascreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. And when I come back, I'll be here with uh, Patrick Delmore, and we're going to talk the Superman story, the last time I saw Earth, and the Superman family album story, It's Superman, to conclude my coverage of the Ruby Spears Superman show. Hang around, folks. A historic moment tonight. 
The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Alpha, readers escape. Recruit a team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers. Specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles. Every Tuesday, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet radio network all right welcome back folks and uh as i mentioned this is going to be the last episode covering the ruby spear superman and since uh there's an odd number of episodes in this series you know 13 doesn't make life easy on me when you go two at a time i i brought a guest along with me to uh cover this final episode of the ruby spear superman i have uh you've heard it before patrick delmore here hey everybody patrick has mentioned you mentioned to me a long time ago to uh to call you on when I got up to uh, Ruby yes. Spears, and I figured what better way than to f- than to finish off the coverage of uh, of the, of this show? Yeah. So, what is uh, your origin story? So, when I was a kid, uh, Saturday mornings involved, um, you know, twitching in bed until my parents said, you know, I can get up and watch TV. And usually, the earliest show I would catch would be the Muppet Babies, and I believe this aired right before Muppet Babies. So I might have seen the Superman family album on a couple. And I know I saw the, uh, the the episode where they go to China. And I remember going to school and being like, you know, there's a Superman show on early in the morning. That's really good on Saturday. And nobody had seen it because it was on too early. Right. It had to have been on at 630 or 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Yeah, I don't remember when it was on, actually. The only thing, I, you know, I may or may not have mentioned this on the show before, but I remember this show existing. But I don't really remember any speci- – I didn't remember any specifics because and, – and now I can see why, having gone through all, all these episodes. The show is solid, but there's nothing about it that really – there are no episodes that stand out, I, I, I don't think. The, the only episode that I really that really stood out in my mind from when I was a kid was the prankster episode where they played baseball. Mm. Just because Superman playing baseball is such an out there – it's such a thing you don't see all the time. But, you know, fighting aliens and fighting robots, you know, you see that stuff all the time. So there was, you know, I didn't find anything really stood out. 
To me, it was that uh, my dad would come home sometimes with bags of comics with no covers on them. So there was a lot of like Bronze Age Superman and Superboy. So I was recognizing that these were adaptations of real comics, a lot of them, especially the Super Baby stuff. So I was like, this has to be a legitimate show because I'm reading in the comic the same thing I'm seeing on TV. So that made an impression on me. And compared to, I don't think I saw Super Friends at all, but I, there was just something to me about it as far as superhero stuff. I guess um, that, what is it, the champions with uh, the Phantom and uh, Mandrake the Magician and Flash Gordon must have been the other only major superhero show I was getting which is not anywhere near the level of quality of, uh, of this show. So I, I was able to compare the two. And again, you know, I'm under 10, so it's not that hard to impress me. But and I was not allowed to see G.I. Joe, even though I'm looking at this now, and I'm like, this had to be done by the same animation studio because it looks a lot similar. But right. but yeah, to, to me, it just it, it kind of as, as kids entertainment, stood a little bit head and shoulders above what else was available for superheroes. Right, it definitely did. It definitely stood up head and shoulders above any uh, Superman-related stuff up until that time. The animation was definitely a notch above what we saw in Super Friends and light years ahead of the of the uh, filmation stuff. But yeah, so uh, Steve Gerber wrote the first segment of this. Yeah, this show had two segments. Uh, one was a straight-up Superman uh, adventure, and the other was a Superman family album type of thing. So let's, uh, I guess we'll first go into, uh, into the Steve Gerber segment, the Superman story, the last time I saw Earth. And, uh, both of the, the stories we're going to talk about had an original broadcast date of December 10th, 1988. And, uh, and our synopsis is from the supermanhomepage.com. Jimmy and Lois are aboard a space shuttle headed for a space station in orbit around the Earth. Maybe I should have passed up this assignment and taken the Pitbull show at the arena. Oh, Jimmy, relax and enjoy the ride. I bet even Superman doesn't fly this high. That's what I'm afraid of. An alien bounty hunter by the name of Starrock fires a laser weapon at the shuttle, causing it to spin wildly out of control on a collision course with the space station. Superman rescues the shuttle and spies Starrock's ship nearby. In a brief battle, Superman is flung out of the ship, enabling Starrock to kidnap the shuttle with the crew on board and fly through hyperspace. Superman follows but is rendered unconscious when struck by another of Starrock's weapons. Lois and Jimmy and crew are taken to an alien city where they are fed well, fattened for the killing. You have no right to do this to us! When Superman gets here, you're gonna regret this! The humans have passed the tests. They're perfect for my needs. Needs? What needs? Profit. I deal in black market cuisine. That dinner we just ate. We were your taste testers? Uh, no. So what do you want? You medium well. Nothing personal, my dear. <laughs> I intend to sell them your entire planet and everyone on it. It seems your proteins would make my people virtually immortal. Waking and making his way to the alien city, Superman bef befriends a young wannabe hero. Superman, come on! Thank you for your help. Jussig's the name. Hero wins my game. Just like you! But how would you know? See me on the Galaxy News. I don't just watch cartoons, you know. I wonder if you might do me one more favor. I need to find someone named Starak. 
Yeah, you and the authorities. But I could take you to him. No, it's too dangerous. Just tell me. Uh-uh. I come to, or you can just keep on looking. You don't leave me much choice, do you? Hmm, <laughs> nope. We helped him find Lois and friends. Lois and friends. <laughs> Quickly disposing of Starrock and company, Superman flies the shuttle back to Earth. story in after all, Miss Lane. I told you Superman wouldn't let us down. Is it any wonder he's Earth's greatest hero? So, what'd you think of this one? I liked it a lot. Uh, the only thing that I didn't care for was uh, Coward Clark Kent's little bit about how he was scared to go into space. Me? Go up in the space shuttle? Golly no, I hate flying. Kent, you've got to develop some guts if you're going to make it in the newspaper game. Be aggressive, take risks. Stand by for news bulletin. Oh, no. I didn't, it didn't make sense why Perry even wanted to send him. I mean, how was he going to get up there? You know, Perry calling Claude Gutless for not wanting to go into space, that takes years of training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have at least said, you know, Olsen's up there. Yeah. But um, you could tell, I mean, it felt like a Bronze Age Superman adventure. Right. Um, if it had had its full 22 minutes to develop, I'm sure there would have been some pseudoscience about how Clark was able, or Superman was able to navigate hyperspace. Um, but it hit all the buttons it needed to hit. I would have liked to have seen uh, the Procurer or whatever the, the fat alien's name was have something happen to him where he ate so much or took so much power that he blew up, but... Right. Yeah, that alien didn't have a name, as I recall. Just the bounty hunter, Starrock. No, his name was the Procurer. Oh, he was the Procurer. Yeah. Okay. I loved his his uh, his little castle was very 1980s, and uh, his his giant TV, which you knew that Superman was going to fly up close to and and then uh, break through the whole time. Right. You know, you had to have that happen. Um, the, the little boy on the planet that knows all about Superman because he's on a galactic uh, on the uh, the galactic <laughs> yeah. news or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, the galactic news covers uh, stuff on primitive Earth. Yep. And our uh, our procurer does not watch galactic news because he has no idea that Superman's a thing. No, I thought our, our galactic pure our uh, procurer. I think he looked a little bit like Jabba the Hutt with legs. Oh yeah, tons of Star Wars influence yeah. there. Clark at the uh, cantina. Oh yeah, you know I think everybody has to do a cantina now that uh, since 1977 when uh, Star Wars came out, and uh, yeah, you know Lois and Jimmy on the on the space shuttle just doesn't seem uh, plausible. You know I I can't imagine there's any space shuttle mission where reporters are allowed up. You know, no, what, and what what you have to go through to go into space, and not Jimmy. Um, I think if this was a, in a comic book, it would have been Lois and what's his name um steve yeah going up there and he would i mean what's his name gerber's setting it up for lois to try to make superman jealous with the commander of the mission right and there's just no time to do that which is which is kind of a shame 
even though I don't care for I don't care for Caddy Lois, but that's who she was at that time. So right, yeah, this is a mixture of mixture of Bronze Age and a little bit of post Crisis Lois. Yeah, I mean the story the show's uh, story editor was Marv Wolfman. Yep, and he was heavily involved with John Byrne in the uh, reimagining of Superman. Well, so, John little, Byrne. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of both, a little bit of Bronze Age, a little bit of Post Crisis. Yeah, that uh, Planet Stealers story that Byrne did from around this time could easily have been an episode of Ruby Spears Superman. And, and it's kind of funny. I watched this episode now because I think just the other day I was reading uh, then the new uh, Green Lan- Grant Morrison Green Lantern series, and I was reading issue three, and there was an issue about a creature stealing Earth so he could eat it. Hmm. I was like, oh, like, really? I'm reading. I'm seeing this now, right after I read that. <laughs> I need to read that. Yeah, I'm not saying Graham Morrison watches show, but uh, <laughs> it's like a, okay. I guess uh, auctioning off the Earth is something that happens happens in the DC universe. Yes, frequently. Well, just in comics in general. Yeah. That well, that little kid is also a very Marv Wolfman thing. I think he wrote a story. It's in that 80 Years of Superman book about like two alien boys that come up with the idea of Superman. They're like little yellow guys with like brain protrusions that live on like a persecuted planet. And they just create the idea of Superman and he comes to life there. What is that called? It's drawn by by Gil Kane. I've read that one. Yeah. I think think Bob Fisher did something on that or somebody did covered that. Yeah. But right. It's, 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 it's escaped me, but I know the baddies, the baddies in it are, um, if Superman didn't exist, Marvel right. and Gil Kane from right, right. Action Five Five Four. Right. And I was no, they're two. Re- they're two regular kids on Earth, and the aliens are green guys. Right. And and they created Superman. They drew Superman yeah. in a cave or something like that. The two yeah. kids with Jerry and Joe. Do yeah. so we have our aliens uh, firing on the shuttle? So now, when this right after this news brief comes up about the shuttle uh, either disappearing or being uh, kidnapped, I got a very Superman two feeling out of this. Mm-hmm. Wade Clark sneaks away. If you think about the beginning of Superman 2, where Perry's telling Clark about the terrorists, and then he just... He's just gone, yeah. He's just gone, and Perry's confused. I got the same vibe here. Mm-hmm. But they didn't give, well, they they, didn't give us... The cartoon didn't give us a shirt rip at the end of the sequence. Yeah. Well, they got you still got his, uh, his S filling up the whole screen where they're watching him destroy the robots outside of the the procurer's uh, base or rather right. inside the procurer's base. Cause the kid falsely told Superman that they didn't need, need guards, <laughs> right. but no, they're just, in, they're just inside the wall, not outside the wall. But yeah, his, his S is all giant. And then he flies through it. Um, I would have loved it if, you know, if Gerber had had the time to play with the whole thing, if they had done stuff with, uh, with size, like they did in the story where uh, Superman flies to, the new god city without using a boom tube right and when he gets there he's you know itty bitty right yeah it, it was kind of jarring how superman in this episode was just able to fly into hyperspace yep i was like oh, wait, wait a minute he can do that that's what a comic book would have explained to you yeah <laughs> like why and how, why and how and how he located stuff and he arrives at the same time as that ship i mean you have the thing where he gets knocked out and keeps going until he hits the asteroid Right, yeah, I thought when he got knocked out, he'd got knocked, he'd have gotten knocked into normal space, but uh, apparently, uh, hyperspace here is a new dimension. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, but what did they say? Somewhere between the theoretical and the impossible. Yeah, that was a very Geordie line. It, it, it was, 
And, and this episode, I believe, was the uh, first mention of microscopic vision in the show. Sure. Which, the, the, that I recall. I mean, it actually took 12 episodes of this show to give us a, a change in a phone booth. Yeah. Did you? Uh, oh, go ahead. It happens in uh, in this one, too, in the in, in the, Superman, uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a little bit of I'm gonna have a little bit of egg on my face now because I, I when I talked about the last episode, I was like, it took twelve twelve episodes to get one phone booth change. What are the odds of getting another one? And lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get another one. Did you catch the uh, commander's name that Lois is flirting with? Uh, it was Wolfman, right? Yep, Commander Wolfman. Yeah, I'm amazed that got by the story editor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like thanks, Steve. Yeah, like really? I mean, you know, kids watching are not aware of uh who marv wolfman is no maybe some older kids are but yeah because they're all still reading titans at that point I mean, this is really Mar- marv wolfman at kind of the height of his powers yeah he's about he's a couple years removed from crisis still writing titans is he still writing titans at this point yeah this is uh right at um oh a lonely place of dying i want to say yeah, yeah 1988 sounds about right george perez has moved on to wonder woman what what do you think this thing was that was like that? How did Superman know the shuttle was sabotaged? It looked like a piece of goo on the uh, on the circuit. It board did, there. and the and the the shuttle looked like it was made out of uh, paychecks too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they could have done a better job of it. I mean, I mean, I think they spent a lot of a lot of money on animating this thing because there's a quite a, quite a bit more movement in this than there is in the second segment, which is a shame. But right. Well, yeah, I, I think. The first segment was really the the main event. The sec- yeah. second segment was just a tag tag on, and I have issues with the second segment for most of the season anyway. But we'll we'll get to those later. So it, it took oh it took a while to figure out what Star Rock's game was. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, we, he felt very alien of the week, and then he kind of just disappears in the middle of the episode. <laughs> yeah, he could have come back in the second season because it was uh, he destroyed his belt that was keeping him in the in the room. He didn't kill him. Not that Superman ever would kill him, but no. So he's he's somewhere else plotting revenge. Yeah. I would have liked it if it was Mongul and not uh, a character made up for this show. Yeah, I I wonder why that works the way it does. Probably money. Yeah, they'd probably have to pay it a license uh, a character like Mongul off to. Uh, I don't know. How, I don't know how those contracts work. And I'm not sure. How I like the, you know Superman just getting beaten up by a big ball of light from the spaceship. Yeah. I, th- I mean, any any time Superman is in space and encounters something that's more powerful than him is always kind of neat. But yeah, some of the animations this episode seem like okay. Last episode, let's get this done. I don't know. Definitely, when he's carrying the the ship home, and then when he's flying next to the the kids' little craft when they're leaving the planet, it was all limited animation, yeah. very Hanna Barbera. I think one of the problems with this being only being like 18 minutes, not the full 22 is the endings are always rushed. Yeah. We get to the end and all, you know, I had to go back a couple of times to figure out that the, uh, how the, uh, procurer, the procurer was defeated. It looks like a balloon that pops and just kind of floats away. Yeah. So a lot of this time, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> and listeners, we're just kind of jumping around this episode a little. We're not really going in order. <laughs> I got a kick out of Lois dictating her uh, story into a tape recorder as they're flying through hyperspace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ever, ever the reporter. Uh, so did we talk about the uh, the cantina scene? Uh, Superman just kind of sees the build, sees somebody get thrown. Superman's walking. I don't know why he's walking and not flying. Maybe he's uh, conserving power. But two guys get thrown out of the front door of this uh, building, and he says, "Oh, 
this looks like a good place to go to go get information. Yeah. So he goes in and we get a, you know, we get their version of the Star Wars cantina. Yep. And a giant bug that tries to eat him. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure, that, as I recall, there was a big, uh, there was a bug pun. I thought the kid, though, with his little blue helmet looked a little bit like Mega Man. Yeah. Remember him from the, from the old Nintendo game? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I've got the kid Icarus voice, I think, stuck in my head as the Mega Man voice, though. Right. Captain N in the uh, <coughs> game. Yeah, oh, and the Super Master. Mario Brothers 3 cartoon. Remember that? Yeah. But our little kid here wasn't very altruistic. He uh, he would only help Superman if he got to come along. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, furthering his own adventures. But Superman was appreciative. I mean, you could you knew everything he was going to say to him at the end of it. Without uh, you know, having to guess too hard, you know, I think you know, I think you're a hero already. And right, well, you know, Superman's got to build the kid up. Mm-hmm. I'd love it if, if it had like Lois, like you think it's a good idea to leave that altruistic little boy on that hostile planet. I mean, it doesn't seem very powerful or anything. Well, you know, he found them there. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, maybe the kid is supposed to be there. You know. It would have been. It could have helped to have him be like, you know, we can take my, you know, my dad's bike or yeah, or something. No, but they they just well, well, he knows Superman can fly. He saw it on the news. Yeah, you know the uh, the galactic news or the galaxy news or, or whatever it is that, like I said, the co- it covers Earth. And uh, I like that Lois kind of figured out what the Procurers game was, kind of yeah, fattened them up like Thanksgiving turkeys. But then she's uh, she's really shocked when he finally says that's what they're doing. Yeah. Like Jimmy, Jimmy doesn't even get it, and she's trying to clue him in. And then once he says what they're going to do, she's got this, you know, very shocked look. I like Superman being able to rip those tubes open like they're made of plastic. Oh, what that was animated really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I questioned though the animation for the procure. It looked like his stomach had a big butt crack on it. Yep, I'm sure a bunch of kids thought that was real funny. I thought it was real funny. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, and that was just the other night. <laughs> I believe in 1988 was still worried about standards and Superman is fighting a robot. Yep. And apparently he can fight this robot. Maybe it doesn't have a soul like the old Defend Droids did. <laughs> but I did notice that uh, Starrock was able to punch Superman. Yeah. But Superman couldn't punch him back. It was funny because it's like I never picked up on that. Like how uh, Spider-Man couldn't throw punches in the, even in the 90s. Right. He had to make a he had to fill like a, a sack of webbing with bricks and spin it at someone. It's like, you know, getting hit with a ton of bricks is going to hurt a lot more than Spidey punching you. But. I think I noticed it most with the Ninja Turtles cartoon where the weapons really never came out. Yeah, because uh, you see them walking around with their weapons, but they really never came out. I mean, Leonardo had two swords. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously they were fighting robots half the time anyway for the same reason. Mikey would spin his nunchucks occasionally, though. Yeah, he would and, spin him at a robot. Yeah, what's his uh, Donatello could do could do stunts, but the, the edged weapons, no, you didn't never see them. No, you, except to eat pizza, eat and cut pizza with. Well, yeah, well, you need something to cut the pizza with, in the absence of a normal pizza roller. Yeah. So Superman rescues the uh, three humans uh, that were caught by the procure. Such a hard thing to say. No wonder why I couldn't. Uh, no wonder why I didn't really uh, roll off. The, it doesn't really roll off the tongue at all, does it? Nope. Marv Wolf could have come up with a better name. You know, he is the editor of these things. Oh, yes. Now that I'm looking at my notes, now I know how he beat the curator. He bounced the the, the blast from the ray gun off the street. You know, I guess all of this stuff is supposed to be funny. It doesn't really play as well when you're older. No, I never thought uh, 
any of the heroes trying to be funny was funny. No. Um, did you watch that that bizarre Mighty Mouse show that was on at this time by um, the dude that did Ren and Stimpy? I don't know if I watched it religiously, but I probably caught an episode or two here and there. He parodied superheroes on that. Right. And those were those were pretty good. Like Bat Bat and the guy that whose muscles had muscles. Like that cracked me up. But Oh yeah. No, Superman trying to be funny and coming off as corny even even when I was six still came off as corny to me. So. Yeah. Although one thing I in some of the previous episodes I noticed the if you watch some of the episodes, there's some pretty heavy flirting between Superman and Lois. Yeah. That I wouldn't expect in a kid's cartoon. Well, what's her face? Um, I guess the presumption is they've all seen uh, Margot Kidder flirt with Superman. Right. And so they're like, you know, if, if Lois can do this in the movie and we're going to assume the kids saw the movie, she can do it here. This show did take a lot from the uh, from the Reeve movies. Very much so. The look of Clark, how yeah. his hair is styled and everything. You know, per- Perry White looked like your standard comics Perry White at the time. And uh, and Jimmy was on model. Mm. I did not like the Ma and Pa Kent design, especially Ma Kent, who looks like no. Amanda, Amanda We're... Waller. with. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, she looked like a white Amanda Waller. Yeah. There's, it's weird with the Kents. Cause they always, they're like stuck in a different decade. Mm-hmm. You know, they never seemed to grow out of the 50s. It wasn't really until, I don't think it was really until Smallville that they were de-aged. Well, you had to have that scene in uh, Lois and Clark where Lois goes over there and is trying to explain uh, technology to Ma. And Ma's like, right. shows her that she has a fax machine there. And Yeah. Even there, they tried to make uh, Ma Kent a little more uh, active. Yeah. You know, I noticed that in the, you know, because I just in the last episode, I did the the first Superboy episode where you see the Kents. All Ma Kent wants to do in that episode is to feed people. Yeah. You know, have my apple pie and have my chicken. You know, that that's it. All other than that, all she she's not you know doing uh, art projects and uh, posing for a painting the way well, Ber- uh, Ma Kent was in Lois and Clark. Yeah. Well, Burns saved those those characters when he did uh, Man of Steel because. In the Superboy comics, it's basically like, Clark, we are proud of you. Oh, no, Clark, you did bad. We are ashamed of our adopted son. Right. Yeah, and there's a little bit of that in the uh, in the family album segments. Like, the one where he plays football. It's like, after he goes to a day of practice, they, they tell him that they don't think it's fair that he does this. It's like, really? You didn't think of that beforehand? Yeah. I've always had the theory, or, or I guess it's my headcanon, that Everyone in Smallville kind of understands that there's something special about Clark. Yeah. That's just how they talk about it. So, like, maybe they, you know, were like, oh, Clark's going to go play football. And the neighbor's like, Clark's going to play football? He's going to put the whole school to shame. Right. You know, you can't have him do this. I, and I kind of wonder, now, how long have you had that head Is that something that came after Smallville? Um. It was more to do with reading that story where they bake the, they bake the giant cake for Superboy. Right. I was like, they must know. They must have all seen Clark do do different things, whether or not it was you know being super altruistic, right. or just moments when he didn't have his impulse control there. Everybody's seen a little something, but they really love Clark. Right. They're as protective of him as his folks. Did you see? Uh, I would never have read it if. Uh, Michael Bailey hadn't said it was good. Um, Superman Year One. 
Oh, the uh, the Frank Miller. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I did read it. Yeah, that's the only reason yeah, I read it too. But guys... I was like uh, Frank Miller, super. Uh, With the guys like, there goes that camp boy flying over the cornfield. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, because pe- people would have seen stuff like that all the time, right. and it just, just there. It's just they think of this like, well, you know, nothing new under the sun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think, uh, especially you know, back then maybe you could have hid things like that, but you know, you can't really hide it as much now. I mean, even uh, seven years ago, the Man of Steel movie, there was highly indicated that a lot of people in Smallville knew there was something about Clark. Right. I mean, that's why they called you know his mom to talk him down in that scene at the school and not have you know like a resource officer or something trying to yank him out of there or also that uh in the book uh it's superman they have a scene like that where he goes to the movies and there's a a shooting and clark's able to catch a bullet right and like a cop's like okay clark <laughs> this is not the first time this has happened <laughs> yeah now why are you always you, yeah scenes? <laughs> yeah but yeah huh? there is something you know special about clark and uh lana figures it out well lana's always uh in the superboy comics Lana's always, you know, dogging at his heels. And you see that in the Superboy show, too. Yeah. Starting to see it. Yeah, you're at the bad part of the Superboy show. Oh, I am. I I know I'm at the bad part. (laughs) I'm at the bad part of Superboy. The show doesn't get good until until seasons three and four. Well, uh, when when Luther switches actors to to what's his name? Sherman Howard. And when when eventually when uh, Superboy switches actors, too. Yeah, that that whole episode where he changes his face is is really fun. And I'm guessing they don't explain Superboy. He just nope. all of a sudden <laughs> Gerard Christopher. Yeah, it's funny. What's going to happen is John Hames Newton is going to grow on me, and it's going to change because he is. I'm like nine episodes in. He's already starting to grow on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's starting to get a little more comfortable. That side of the show I have not watched since like it aired. So. I'm glad it's on the DC app now, so I can watch it if I want to. Yeah, I did. I've never seen the beginning. I've never seen these, so it's interesting watching them. I don't think I caught up with the show until season three. That's probably when I did too, or it was running back to back with uh, my secret identity with Jerry O'Connell on uh, a Saturday afternoon. The same Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. Oh, have you not the seen... Superman in the current in the animated movies? Yeah. Have you not seen my secret identity? Uh, not. It's very time. Canadian, but it's. It's very, yeah, over here it was the well, show that was called syndica- the, that was all syndication though. It may not have they yes. may not have been packaged together yeah. here. It was a show called The Edison Twins that I don't think I ever watched, which was also a Canadian show. Uh Superboy and then My Secret Identity. That would air on like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, we're we're venturing into Superboys. That kinda of tells us what we need to know about uh yeah, <laughs> about, the, about this particular Superman episode, you, you know, it's not the strongest uh, episode to end on. And I kind of wonder if they knew they were. I wonder when they found out they were ending. Um, because what was happening next for DC Animation? Anything? Where were DC Animation? We're in 1988. This is the end of 88. So did anything happen between this and 1993? Like anything? I don't know. Nothing Superman related, I know that. Okay, oh, oh, I know what it is. When did Tiny Toons start? I have to look that up. Because that was where Warner Brothers went. 
I mean, right. this wasn't this wasn't really a Warner Brothers sh- being advertised as a Warner Brothers show because Batman the animated series spun out of the Tiny Toons stable. Right. Yeah. Because all those same writers doing the show. Let's see if I can figure out why the show was canceled. It was probably expensive. But uh, the only reason that Superboy stopped was because of Lois and Clark. Well, I don't think Superboy, after where it went, had any, really had anywhere else to go. Yeah. Paranormal investigator. Because doesn't it start right when um, Superpowers ends? Isn't it the next year? Uh, the Galactic Guardians ended in 85 or 86, so it's a couple oh. years. Okay. All right. So do we have anything else to say on this Superman episode? Not particularly, no. I mean, the, after he, after, uh, what's his name, the Procurer gets ballooned away, our alien uh, boy just kind of, oh, we're going to go to the hangar where the ship is, and then they uh, fly off. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a superhero like you someday, and the uh, th- you know thank God thank God Superman's on our side because it's too early for us to find out about Green Lantern. Yeah, exactly. Well, they probably didn't have the rights to that anyway. They probably only had the rights to uh, Superman uh, related stuff and Wonder Woman because she's on the oh, right. Wonder Woman showed up for one episode too. All right, so yeah, this was you know definitely not worthy of being the last episode uh, of the of the series. But I do wonder if uh, this was only planned as a 13-episode season because the uh, back half of the last like five or so minutes was the Superman family album stories, and it ends with It's Superman, which is Clark leaving the small world and becoming, um, going to Metropolis. If you're going to plan out a season of these things, I guess it's only logical that you end, uh, end here. So what did you think of, of these segments at the end? Oh, it's too incomplete. I wanted to see him uh, defeat the tank guy. I mean, they had him saving Lois, and isn't he like he's off after the tank, and then he writes, and you don't see what what the conclusion of that is, and then he writes the story, right? And I would just like to have seen him, you know, defeat this guy in the tank. It's it's weird that it's a tank and not a plane, too. Right. I mean, as far as I mean, just you know, as a concept, what do you think of this of this uh, segment? Uh yeah, I don't, yeah, <laughs> that kind of says it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like um, the I like the early cool. ones mm-hmm. where where he's a baby because I, I I you know I like seeing the Kent's as over as overwhelmed parents. Mm-hmm. You know I like you know Bob Fisher will he hates Super Baby stories, but you know and he hates the ones where uh, you know where Super Baby's having an adventure in space with Brainiac. <laughs> See, I like the ones where he gets into trouble. Yeah. Where the Kents are clearly overwhelmed. You know, this is one comic I always point to where uh, Dick, he falls off a cruise ship and the Kents end up having to adopt him again. That's <laughs> <laughs> so terrible. It is. But it's, but it's so Silver Age. <laughs> they, they go through all these orphanages looking for him. And, and he gets adopted by... And actually, the first episode, the first of these segments, the one that covers the adoption, it's kind of like that, where he gets adopted by three families that can't handle him because he picks the Kents. Mm-hmm. And I found that as they went on, the older Clark got, the less I, I liked them. Yeah. Like, there was one. Like, I think the one where they went scouting. Clark was an ass. Yep, Superman is a jerk. He is. Silver Rage Super, Super Dickery. Yeah. No, I would never want to encounter the Earth One Superman in in any situation. No, because he does not care. Yeah, 
All right, so I'll go. Let me go into the uh, synopsis for this uh, lovely final segment. It is written by Cherry Wilkerson, who I believe uh, wrote all of these, or at the very least, most of them. Wolfman wrote a couple, I'm pretty sure. Of the of the uh, of the family album ones, yeah, family albums. Yeah, I know. I saw her name on a lot of them. She also wrote a full one of the full length Superman stories that uh, that she wrote with Wolfman. I wonder how Wolfman's name got on there. If it was, if they planned to work on it together, or, or did he have to do so much work on it that uh, <laughs> he had to put his name on it because it wasn't a good episode. So anyway, Clark uh, leaves Smallville for Metropolis. His mother gives him a package containing a costume she's created for Clark from the blankets he was wrapped in when they found him as a baby. While in a job interview with Perry White. Uh, my uh, plane was late, and and uh, I, I had to rush right here for the interview, so so I. Uh... And you are. Oh, uh, uh, Clark, uh, Clark Kent. Well, Mr. Clark Kent, it says here you haven't had a lot of experience. Well, I, I didn't get paid for the work I did, but. Uh... Perry, some Joker has stolen a tank and is heading toward the downtown bank, and. Miss Lane, doors are for knocking on. Yes, but but this is important. Uh, excuse me, but uh. <clears throat> Well, if I come up with an exclusive angle on this bank situation, uh, would you give me a job? Over my dead body. If you outscoop Lois, you're hired. But this is my story. Miss Lane, you have a job to do. Are there any more questions? Uh, Miss Lane, uh, wait for me. In the process of getting the story, Clark changes into his costume, saves Lois, stops the robberies, and writes the first Daily Planet front-page story on Superman. Look, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman by Clark Kent! Good work, Kent. Welcome to the staff of the Daily Planet. Yeah, good work. Uh, you say you know this guy? A little. Yeah. This needed more than four minutes. It really, really, really did. I mean, this could have been the first episode of the series. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, granted, we've all seen, you know, we've all seen Superman's origin enough times. But uh, if you're going to do it, do it right. I mean, he's carrying around this package with his costume in it. Like, it's a loaf of bread. <laughs> to the point where Lois threw it out of the uh, Daily Planet of Winnebago. Right. Why would she, why would she care that that was in there? Yeah, <laughs> because it's in the script. Yeah, and you know, and honestly, I was watching them drive around. I kept calling that Winnib- that Daily Planet Winnebago. I kept calling it the Turtle Van. Yeah, close to. <laughs> I was waiting for the thing to shoot pizzas out of the front. Uh, obviously, they couldn't do it on here, but it would have been, it would have been great if you know Lois had gotten away with the van. It was like, now what? You know, what trick does Clark have up his sleeve here? It opens that up, and she brings it to to Perry, and she's like, I think this guy's got a bit of a kink. Yeah, yeah. No, they they couldn't do anything. Uh, Cause they, <clears throat> why is some guy driving through town with a tank? I don't know. And why wasn't it Luther? I mean, who just gets up in the morning and decides he wants he's gonna rob every bank in the country? Yeah, in a big tank. That in theory, it's like the police could stop that. They could. You really don't need Superman to do that. You needed Superman to save Lois from falling off a bridge. Right. And I mean, it'll up her ability to, you know, do reckless things because he'll ca- he'll just catch her. Right. I did. I did like that he used the, uh, you know, who are you? And he did the, well, let's just say I'm a friend. I wish he just said a friend like he does in the movie. But 
Right, yeah, because that will start to get overused, though. The, it's a friend. I'm a friend. Because it gets used, obviously gets used to great effect in the, uh, in the Reeve movie. It's used here. Dean Cain will use it. Although he's a lot, he's a lot more uncertain when he says it. Of course, Dean Cain is a lot more, uh, uncertain when he's Superman than anybody. That is very true. Yeah. But I think that's legitimate. I mean, people can, people can complain that, like, you know, it's, a, it was the actor not liking it, but it's put in the context of that show where, you know, Ma Kent's making fun of him about his costume, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, Ma Kent's making fun of him about his tights. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Clark, uh, I think Clark does his, it's a job for, and then he kind of trips over himself because it doesn't have a name yet. Yeah, because he was never, uh, he had the powers, but was never Superboy. And this is already, uh, at this point, we've already had the, uh, it's been written into law that Lois gives him uh, his name. Yep. I think that started with the Reeve movie. Before that, he put on the costume he was Superman. Mm-hmm. In the first Kirk Allen serial, he says, I'll only wear the costume when I'm Superman. And he says that to his parents. <laughs> so he gave him his he gave him his own name. Now Lois has to do it. And uh, Clark gets the Superman story somehow. We, I do wish we'd, we'd seen him beat the tank. Yeah. It wouldn't have taken much. No. Melt the, melt the treads. I mean, yeah. bend the... Bend to the gun, something. You know, a little bit less with Lois in the turtle van, and uh, or um, it was storyboarded, and somebody was like, "What is this? The Incredible Hulk?" Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to see him throw a tank. Sure, you do. <laughs> That's a network executive. Oh, this yeah. is... <laughs> <sighs> when was that Hulk cartoon on? It was around that this time. Yeah, right? maybe a little before, a little bit after. Yeah, because that was that was Hulk's signature move was picking up a tank and throwing it. Well, yeah, yeah, but Superman could have done other things. He could have, you know, just, all he had to do was take the treads out and yeah. pull the guy out of the uh, out of the hatch. Looks like the country just got a lot smaller. Yes, it did. That's one of the things about this show. There's not really a lot to say about it. You know, the episodes are good; they're watchable. Yeah, but mm-hmm. the animation is good. Mm-hmm. I do wish it had gone on for longer. I wish it had at least gotten another season. You could put it, I and mean, you could put a, ki- a young kid in front of it. Yeah, you can for half an hour, and they'll probably enjoy it. Uh, I tried uh, my nephew on the old cartoon, the Fleischer Studios one. Right. He was really young. I mean, he was like not quite three, and it scared that first episode scared him so bad. Which one was that? The Mad Scientist. But, yeah, with the build, with the melting building, and Superman right. trying to hold it up, really shook him. Really? Oh yeah, because he's you know think he's thinking about you know being inside that building and mm. what would that be like? He didn't want to finish it. He was just so scared. Uh, luckily, we were able to get into the movie when he was four, and he really enjoyed it. We watched uh, we watched the exciting parts, and then one afternoon we watched the whole movie together. Right. <clears throat> yeah my my daughter came with me to see uh, when Fathom a few about two years ago did the uh, the fortieth anniversary screening. There was a Fleischer in front of it. They did the mechanical monsters. That, that one might have been a little bit better. Yeah, but I just didn't think about you know him only being two and seeing a seeing that happen to a building like that. He was very not happy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That that wouldn't have dawned on me probably because I've been watching the Fleischer since for as long as I can remember. I always remember that building being very bendy. Yep. But yeah, I don't have anything else on these. No, me, me neither. You know, like I said, you know. They're solid episodes, but they're not outstanding. 
and many are forgettable. Right. Like I said, I remembered the show existing, but I remembered very few episodes. I would say, though, to, compa- to compare with where Superman had been in animation, it was oh, it a was lot better than yet. De- it was definitely a step up. You know, it seemed like, you know, something I, I noticed the Super Friends tended to do. The best episodes were at the beginning of the season, and then they kind of just petered out toward the end. And I mean, I don't know if. Yeah, we do the shows kind of do the opposite now, where yeah. they'll do a, they'll do an intro episode, kind of a, you know the beginning of it is a lot of character establishment, and then they get plot heavy at the end. Right. Well, now now cartoons, every show is so different now in the way stories are told. There there aren't any more shows like this where you can just sit someone down in front of every episode, any episode, and they have everything they need. Right, I'm getting to the point where I gotta get myself out of here. Understandable, yes. Uh, this has been fun. It has. And uh, before we go, where can uh, the listeners find you? I'm still doing uh, Next Generation's First Generation, which sometimes has movie commentaries on True True Freaks, but otherwise, uh, look for me on uh, Apple Podcasts with uh, my co host Sasha. We have just finished recording our episodes. Uh, where we do commentary on the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. So we'll be starting season four pretty soon. And, uh, yeah, if Weekly Heroics ever picks up again, uh, you'll probably hear me over there on Two True Freaks. Yeah, I just I just listened the other day to the one on Captain's Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> the commentary was better than the episode. Yeah, I, I, I haven't finished re-listening, because we, we record those well in advance. Right. So I, I love actually going back and listening to them, because, you know, I've forgotten what I've said. I know my dad was sitting with us when we did that one, but that was the last uh, last one they did on um, Star Trek Monthly Monday for Next Generation. Well, that episode, that episode will break you. Yeah. As will uh, Picard's romper. Uh, <laughs> and it's not replicated. It's closed. He has. <laughs> Is that the one where I was like, I could believe that Jordy owns clothes like that, but nobody else? It's like, somebody had to bring that to Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. And he didn't look at it like, you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> he, he's got a kind of a wry sense of humor. You've seen his uh, episode of Extras, right? No, I don't think so. So he's he's playing himself in it, but he's like written a screenplay. And he's like, so I'm a detective and... Any woman that approaches me, her clothes automatically fall off of her body, and she'll struggle fiercely to recover herself again, but it's too late because I've seen everything. (laughs) There's really nowhere to go from that. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, I will be, I'll begin 1989, and the podcast kind of becomes all Superboy all the time, with the invis- with two more episodes of season one, The Invisible People, and Kryptonite Kills. That'll be our first episode with Kryptonite in it. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast, the search feed, and the show will come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks, we're on the same team. Good night. <laughs>
and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted by original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.